worked so far, but we're not out yet. I wanna know what you're thinking. There are some things you can't hide. I wanna know what you're feeling. Tell me what's on your mind. Hailing Frequencies Open, and welcome to Enterprising Individuals, the Star Trek discussion podcast that boldly goes into excruciating detail about the series, characters, and stories of the Star Trek universe. I'm your host, Aaron Coker, a.k.a. Caliban, and I know Voyager has limited resources, but they got to get the drummer of Kim Tones, something better than a rock band drum set. I'm joined in this episode by Asterios Kokonos. Asterios is a writer, comedian, and podcaster. He's also worked for 20 years as an ad copywriter and as a writer and researcher for various TV shows. Asterios, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Good to have you here. Permission to come aboard granted. Today we'll be talking about Virtuoso, the 13th episode of the sixth season of Star Trek Voyager. One of the pillars of Star Trek's utopian future is egalitarianism, the belief that all men, women, and little green men and women are created equal, no matter their home world or what color their blood is. But what about somebody who doesn't have blood? Someone with a positronic brain or logic circuits or someone made of light? Someone who was created by our hands instead of our genes? Trek stories that center on these characters tend to ask the question, should a fake person receive the same respect and enjoy the same rights as real people? There are some who quickly and easily dismiss the rights of a thinking machine or of a holographic crew member, but what if they've got a real nice singing voice? We'll talk about that a little later in the show. First, Asterios, you've been on Discoverage before, our Star Trek Discovery show, but whenever I have somebody on this show for the first time, I always want to hear about their backstory with Trek. How did you become a Star Trek fan? Um, I became a Star Trek fan like a lot of people my age did. I'm 37, so my entry to Trek was TNG. Yeah. And it's just like, well, you're a kid and you don't want to go outside. It's, <laughs> it's, it, there's allergies out there yes. and dogs Dangerous. and like, yeah, there's no computer or video game. Like, there's no Nintendo in the woods. I mean, if there was, I would, oh, wait, yeah. is there a Nintendo in the, I'll go there right now. But uh, but it's the kind of thing where, like, okay, so you're home on Saturday afternoon. Saturday morning cartoons are over. And then syndicated Star Trek, all of a sudden, Next Generation starts playing, like, at 3 p.m. on WPIX 11 in New York. And you're like, what's this? You know, and, like, um, and then you start watching it, and you're like, oh, shit. This world's way better than my world. It seems <laughs> right. like uh, seems like nerds are in charge here. They can go and, outside when they're inside on the holodeck. Oh my god! Yes, exactly. They have a machine inside that makes outside and inside. <laughs> yes. What? And so and so you're watching this thing, and it's and and you, it's carrying you away from your problems at the speed of light. Or faster than the speed of light. Right. Like, if, you know, in an emergency, if you can break the warp seven barrier <laughs> right. um, and say in a, what, what, not barrier, speed limit. Mm. Remember the space speed limit? Yes. Yeah. It's like, I remember when they, remember when they made the space speed limit, I'm thinking to myself, okay. I mean, I get it. It's, this is global warming. Yeah. It's space Greenpeace ruined everything. Yeah. But I'm saying to myself, like, they just gave themselves something that they're going to have to f***ing 
Now they're going to have to have a line in every episode where they're like, I'm giving us permission to we've, break the space we've signed speed the form. limit. Yeah, in triplicate. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, like so we can go warp nine. It's like, oh, uh, great way to slow down your action, <laughs> Yeah, Trek. <laughs> it's like if you're going somewhere at maximum warp, it's like Mac- Mr. LaForge, maximum warp. Of course, maximum warp that is allowable under the Starfleet. <laughs> Don't rip up space accords. Right. And it's like that's hey, way to way to take me out of it there, Trek. You can go five point oh one or oh two, a little bit over. They won't get you for that. Yeah, yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> and if we're going too slow, they might pull us over. Oh, yes. They might think that's <laughs> weird. point five, forget it. Yeah. So anyway, that's how I got to Star Trek. And then I got into Babylon Five and then Farscape and then I was hooked, man. Yeah. And now I'm watching Discovery, man. It's great. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're, we're talking about Voyager today. I think there's a general consensus in Trek fandom that Voyager is kind of where the wheels started to come off a little bit for the revived Trek a franchise. A little bit. Well, what's your general opinion of Voyager? How do you think it fits into the overall picture of Trek? Voyager could have been good. There's absolutely nothing wrong with these characters or this premise. Mm-hmm. Neelix is a good character. This captain is a good character. Like, Chakotay is a good actor and a good, like, it's all fine. It's just, it, you know, it's it's like if you give somebody a really good set of paints and they end up drawing dick butt. <laughs> like, it's not the paint's fault. Um, right. The show is kind of fucked from episode two. When Chakotay, when those two dudes, uh, or a dude and lady come to Chakotay and they're like, hey, we're, the, we're, we're totally willing to take the ship back. You just give us the word, Chakotay. Like, we're Maquis. We're on your side. And then Chakotay goes... You talk like that again, and I'll have you both thrown in the brig for mutiny. Right, yeah. And then it's like, okay, well, so I see you've diffused all tension, and <laughs> what makes this different yeah. than Star Trek The Next Generation? Oh, and then in the, I think in the second episode, they're also like, our, thank goodness our holodecks work, and we can't get the power out of our holodecks. And it's like, you can't get the power out of your holodecks, really. <laughs> yeah. You're fucking lost in space. What are these run on special batteries? They need an adapter. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, and they're like, and we've got eighteen thousand photon torpedoes. Yeah, it's like right. okay, so okay, I see. There's no, so so they just deflate all this tension, and oh, and then finally, the fucking Kazon are the first bad guys they encounter, and the Kazon are monsters of the week. Like, there's nothing. What would you even call the Kazon? Like, if a Klingon and a Romulan had a boring baby? Like, yeah. literally, how would you like? How would you describe the Kazon to somebody? I'm asking. They're thirsty Klingons. Like, they really want water, but they also have, like, warp ships and, like, torpedoes and stuff like that. But they really want water. Well, yeah, but it's like... Okay. But the Klingons, like, are more interesting, though. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, that's, they're, like, that's something boring that I re- Yeah, I ran up against that. I was thinking about that recently, that on any other show, the premise of putting them out in the middle of nowhere, cool, but nobody can come in and off the ship that is related to the characters. So if Worf is going to be a Klingon guy, later on he's going to have a kid, he's going to learn more about his faith, he's going to get involved in Klingon politics. You can have somebody like Balana, you can have, even have a Chakotay and his sort of First Nations background, but none of these characters will ever be able to interact with the greater, they're all representative of their people, and then we can't ever develop anything unless we do like a flashback or something like that. And so they're very isolated, and you need very distinct characters for that reason, and I think a lot of the 
day-to-day dialogue and actions of the characters are kind of samey. Like, I don't feel like they stand out much, except for, like, Neelix, like you mentioned, or, like, Seven or the Doctor. Yeah, I, yes, I, but you know, man, the thing is, though, a fucking sitcom is a bunch of people, like, Cheers. Right. Cheers never leaves the bar. It so <laughs> that's, that's rarely true. leaves the bar. <laughs> yeah. I'm watching the first season of Cheers. I remember a long time ago, and I was like, there's no... There's they 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 are always in this goddamn bar and it always f-ing works. Yeah, um, like uh, you know, it, it's possible to put a bunch of characters and you know they very intentionally do, do that with Community. Like we're in the first season, they're like you're not allowed oh, to leave can't the leave. college. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, there was like a weird Dan Harmon rule about that, and it's like uh, yeah, well if your characters are interesting and diverse and dynamic enough, then. The fact that they're all trapped in the same space will actually create conflicts. Yeah, not not like lack of a lack of stories, but it's like on the show, it's that it's it's like they don't know how to drive the car they've been given. Yeah, you know, yeah, and they right. nerf Neelix right away because, like, in the pilot, Neelix is like Han Solo, like it's kind it's of a, badass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like he like he destroys the Kazon's water supply, grabs his hot girlfriend, and beams out. And then they just make him a goof. And by the way, I like goof Neelix. <laughs> like, but you do get the sense that, that that like between the pilot and episode seven, they got a bunch of notes either internally at the Star Trek writing team or externally, where they were like, no fighting between the crews. Neelix, we liked funny Neelix better. Right. You know what you know what I'm talking about? Like, do you are you on the same page with me? Yeah, I think so. I mean, but this episode is great, and that's the thing. It's like with Voyager. Look, man, if you make how many episodes of Voyager are there? Like 150? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, look, you make 150 some of something. Six of them are going to be good. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so like this is a very very good episode of Voyager. It's yeah. Very very good. <laughs> Uh, you, uh, I thought I had a lot of podcasts, but you're a podcasting dynamo. I mean, you've Aww. got the Boomer versus Zoomer, Waifu Wars, Loudest Podcast, Pork Chatter, Asterios Kills a Kid. Many of the podcasts I listen to are hosted by comedians or have comedians as guests. Has podcasting led to a renaissance in comedy, or is it just one more thing comedians have to do to be taken seriously and gain exposure? No, it's, uh, it's, it's incredible what it has done to develop a middle class of comedy. Because it's like, well... Now I got a reason to talk to you every week and remind you of my shows or yeah. or like tell you that like I got this other thing that you can buy or do this. It's a way to talk to people every week that like in, that want to hear you because they're seeking you out. Like uh, I don't know, back in the day, like you would watch television because it was on. Like, well, that's why I fucking watched Star Trek because yeah. it was on. Right. You know what I mean? And it was inside. Yeah, <laughs> it was on and it was inside and it was free. Like it was not like HBO. But um. But the nice thing about fucking podcasting is that, I mean, we're both doing, I assume you're in your house right now, not a giant studio, right? Uh, yeah, I'm in a studio in my house. Oh, yeah, see, there you go. Exactly. <laughs> like, you didn't have to, like, spend, you didn't have to spend 50 grand to rent out a radio no. studio no, for no. the day and then hire an editor and then send the tape to a satellite guy who says if it's good enough. Like, the other thing about podcasting that's amazing is we are, like, creators are in control 
you didn't need to pitch this show that you're doing to someone who doesn't know what Star Trek is. Yeah, thank God. And then have them go, well, what if instead of only Star Trek, you talked about all sci-fi? That way, that way we might be able to get listeners who are into Babylon 5 or Farscape. And hey, what if uh, what if you had a funny co-host? And what if it was seven minutes long? <laughs> like, you, like, you didn't have... Like, that's the thing about podcasting is that, like... For good or for ill, it is now on you as a comedian to succeed or fail. Right. Like, you can't blame the studio and you can't blame the network. I'll blame the network for fucking Voyager, like, or Paramount or Braga or whoever. I'll blame a million people. Right. But, like, if my show's not good, it's like, ooh, sorry. Uh, You know, Trek is... Taking chances right now, it's expanding greatly. There's a bunch of new shows being announced, including an animated show from Mike McMahon of Rick and Morty. Uh, and Trick sometimes, it usually tries to answer big questions, but sometimes it tries to be funny. As a comedian, do you find Trek funny? Do you think it's successful when it tries to be silly? Well, you, it's, I mean, yes, because they do it so sparingly. Yeah. Like, um, I think the maybe the best example of this recently is, okay... <laughs> Star Trek Discovery, the one of the two best episodes of Star Trek Discovery is the mud time loop episode. It's right. that one and the one with Saru's home planet are both amazing. And there's right. some terrible episodes of Discovery, don't get me wrong, Like, but I think there's more good ones than bad ones, and I feel like a lot of people don't say that. I feel like Discovery is doing good work. I mean, look. And even Star Trek The Next Generation had Masaka is waiting. Yeah, and that, you're right. Yeah, yeah. And that was in the seventh season. They were supposed to have it all worked out by then. Yes, exactly. You yeah. know, like, uh, like, um, oh, but anyway, anyway. Okay, so this episode's happening. I'm watching Discovery and I'm saying to myself, man, I bet this episode ends with them fucking putting a phaser up to Mud's temple and pulling the train. Because <laughs> it's discovery. Like, people are dying. It's and, intense, yeah. And it's intense, and the captain is an asshole. And, like, you don't know at the time why. But but the show is, like, fucking, they're, they're going for it with their Battlestar Galactica reboot edge. Yeah, yeah. And then the episode ends... In the most original series way possible. How do they solve the problem? They call his wife. She pulled him by the ear. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they, and it's just like, that's great. Um, the episode of Deep Space Nine about, about baseball is great. Yeah. Because it happens in the middle of a season where There's everyone might die. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so the thing is, it's just like, they... I don't know if they do it all the time, and I'm sure there's plenty of examples of them f***ing up humor, but, you, you know, Quark going back in time and being the, the Roswell aliens is funny. <laughs> yeah. And that's a great episode. <laughs> and okay. F- the, and, and, to, and to, you know, to, to, to talk about Voyager, it's like one of the only entertaining things on Voyager is Robert Picardo Yes. Because he's very funny. I'm he's, watching, yeah. I'm watching like episode thirteen of season one of Voyager. It's pretty good. I'm sorry, no episode sixteen. The season finale of Voyager season one is pretty good. Uh-huh. Um, it's called uh, uh, I don't know, but it's the one where like there's four Maquis who are not doing a good job, and then and then uh, 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 Tuvok sends them to like. Uh, 
fucking like an improvised Starfleet training camp. It's pretty much just the Breakfast Club in space. <laughs> yeah, like there's four no good nicks, and they have to learn to get along and fuck right. blah blah blah. But there's all these great scenes where like the doctor is like totally fine and just like happily treating these uh, biomimetic gel packs and he's making jokes about them while the crew around him is dying. Like, because they had to turn off life support. So the crew is literally dying and he's just like, doo to do this is so funny. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, and then the episode I saw where he, it's him and fucking, him and Beowulf, which is also in season one. One of the best episodes because it only has Harry Kim in it for one line. <laughs> and even that he up. He can't even sell the one. His one line is like, hey, what happened? And the way he delivers it, he's like, hey, what happened? And it's like, what are you, God damn it! Garrett! Get your shit together! You're clearly not 22, even though there's even though you're supposed to be like a fresh-faced cadet, you look like you're 40. Right. Have you not learned to act? You goddamn stay puffed marshmallow ensign. Can you figure uh, anyway, but like the doctor having to be brave and cool in Beowulf is funny. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's great. There's <laughs> He's on a uh, Garrett Wang's on a competing podcast, so feel free to say whatever you want about him. Uh, there, there's one other thing that I want to touch on before we get into format. There's a pair of videos of you on YouTube called uh, "Asterios Teaches a College Class," oh, and you're talking right. with classrooms about ethics in sci-fi and specifically in Star Trek. How did you end up doing that? Oh my goodness, I forgot. I always I do so much crazy crap that I forget about it a lot. <laughs> Fair enough, sure. Like forever. I remember this one time I was about to do a sketch show. And we needed to make some music. We needed a saxophone part. And I and I went, oh, I play the saxophone. And everyone was like, no, you don't. You're fucking lying to us. <laughs> and I go, no, no, no. I play the saxophone. I just forgot. And they were like, they were like, don't lie to us. And I'm like, I'm gonna go. And so here's what they made me do. They were like, you go down to the music store, you put us on the phone. And you play the saxophone for us on the phone, and that is the only way we will authorize you to rent a saxophone with the budget. <laughs> and I'm sitting there in the store going like, da -da 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 and they're like, okay, you can spend the money. Um, but I, yeah, I forget. Yeah, so a buddy of mine is a teacher at a college, uh -huh. and he wanted me to come in just to talk about, like, the, I guess the ethics of comedy. And then, okay. for, and then for me, I'm like, well, I can't imagine anything worse. More contradictory. <laughs> to talk. Yeah, exactly. Like, 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 I'm like, wow. Because it's just like, hey, who wants to talk about comedy without there being jokes in it? You know, you, you, do you? <laughs> like, so I go in there and I'm like, I want to talk about Star Trek and I want to give these students. I'm like, I am positive none of these kids will have seen the next generation Voyager, Deep Space Nine, Ugh. and likely even heard of them because yeah. they're 21, they're 20. I know that kills me in the video. You you ask people if they've seen like TNG, you know, show of hands, nothing, and then you turn around and say, "Has any of your dad seen it?" <laughs> they're like, "Yeah, I think my dad used to watch that show." And it's like, I'm just gonna drink some cool, refreshing hamlock at this point. Like, I can't <laughs> yeah. believe how old I am. I know, I know. It happened so fast. Yes. <laughs> like, like we were all, like we were all playing the Star Trek: The Next Generation, the customizable card game from Decipher, yes. and like we all had our 
fucking Playmate Star Trek toys and the (laughs) one where you push the button and it teleports and oh, he he turns around and disappears. And uh, but but so so I went in there and I'm like I'm like all right, well let's think about this. What if they were a robot who suddenly developed consciousness and told you that he wanted rights? Right. Should you give it to him? And everyone's like, well, yeah. I'm like, but what if? You built that robot, and he's your property, right? I mean, you built him, you bought him, you own him, right? Yeah. And they're like, well, right. I'm like, yeah, but what if he's like, but like, what if you order him to kill himself, and should he? And they're like, well, yeah. I'm like, yeah, but what if I ordered you to kill yourself? Would that be good? They're like, no. I'm like, and so I'm just like taking them through every possible look right. and angle that you could explore measure of man from. Yeah. And um and then also with Deep Space Nine, I'm explaining to them, I'm like, is Senator Vrenak's life worth like perhaps the death of the Federation? And everyone's right. like, Yeah, kill Vrenak. I'm like, Yeah, but what if fucking Vrenak was your dad though? Wouldn't you feel weird about that? Right. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. and they're like, ah, oh, that is a good point. I hadn't thought of me. And I'm like, Yeah, guys. And I, so you know, the question there being like, does an unjust deed with a justified end can that ever truly be called moral? Yeah. And I'm having fun with it. I'm just dicking around and talking to these kids about Trek. My God. Yeah, it was great. And some of the responses were, I think, from the perspective of somebody like me who's a Trek fan, a little chilling. Like, a lot of people were like, yeah, they should just take Data apart. Or, yeah, the Doctor should not be able to leave and have a singing career. He should, like, stay on the ship. Uh, or just the idea that you introduce the idea that these people are nominally in a military and that they've sort of made an agreement or signed a contract. And a lot of people are like, well, he signed a contract, so he's just got to stay on the ship. He can't do what he wants to do. And I wonder, is it something about the kind of person who is a sci-fi fan who seeks out these kind of ethical conundrums? Are we more likely to be – I'm trying to – I'm dancing around the word liberal. But like, oh, are we more fine. likely to I'm be <laughs> understanding? Like... Because some of these kids are like, yeah, screw them. It's like, wait, what? Is this data we're talking about? Is it the familiarity maybe that would make you uh, more empathetic? That's what that's what the situation I knew I would run into. Yeah. Which is why, like, intentionally, like, I was like, because the thing is, we all love data because it's in data. It's Brent Spiner. Right. He's a child. He's it's. Pinocchio in space. We love data. But the thing is, if like you're just given a piece of paper with all of the ethical quandaries and conundrums in a measure of a man. Yeah. And if you don't bring that kind of perspective to it, that is also incredibly interesting to me, you know? And then with Robert Picardo, it's so great because it's like you root for data. So they're like, what if we made like the opposite of data? Like this guy doesn't want to be a human. He thinks humans are shitty. He thinks humans <laughs> yeah. are dumb. And he's also like data is very brave and noble. It's like, and what if he's a coward? Yeah. <laughs> like, he's kind of a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What if he's a jerk? He doesn't care if you live or die. He's a coward. Like it's just also, it is so, so interesting how in a show where so much is so wrong, this one thing is right. And I wonder how much of that you got to chalk up to Robert Picardo being like, I'm going to play it like this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then them being like, oh, what if we wrote to that? Str- I mean, in this episode, it is 100% 
the writer's writing to the strength of the actor because Robert Picardo was like an opera singing champion as a kid. Okay, I, uh, enough of my blathering. Let me, I'll give you, you, you have the floor. Let's, to get, let's get into it then. Uh, we're talking about the Voyager episode Virtuoso, the 13th episode of the sixth season of Voyager. It first aired on January 26th of the year 2000. It was written by Raph Green and Kenneth Biller. Green was a staff writer on the sixth and seventh season of Voyager, and he contributed to six other episodes of the show, uh, most of which with Biller. Kenneth Biller was an executive story editor for Voyager in its first season and went all the way up to EP, uh, executive producer in the seventh season of the show and he wrote 35 episodes of Voyager and directed two as well. He also worked as a producer on Dark Angel and Smallville and Legend of the Seeker and the National Geographic series Genius, which Raph Green worked on as well. The episode was directed by Les Landau who is a veteran of Star Trek. We've talked a lot about him on the show, but I'll remind listeners that he directed or assistant directed 58 episodes of the four post-TOS pre-disco series and he was the director that replaced Russ Mayberry as director on the TNG episode Code of Honor. And the start date for this episode is 53556.4. Your assignment, Asterios, if you can, is to give us a 25-word synopsis of Virtuoso. The doctor wants to leave the ship and become a singing star. But the ship says, we need you, you're our only doctor. What happens? <laughs> You're just trying to fill it out at the end there. <laughs> no, I, well, I, yeah, no, sure. Yeah, just just pack it out a little bit. Yeah, no, go. that's a that's a great that's a great synopsis of the episode. Uh, here are some interesting facts from the memory banks about the episode. There's of course a lot of music in the episode. Uh, you'll note by necessity, uh, most of it is in the public domain to ha- avoid having to pay licensing fees for its use. Uh, one of the songs is that old Black Magic, which was written by Har- Harold Arlen and Johnny Mercer for the film Star Spangled Rhythm in 1942, and it became a jazz standard of the era. It was covered by Frank Sinatra, Judy Garland. Ireland, uh, the Glenn Miller Orchestra, many other artists. It was also covered in the early 70s by a sweet soul group from Baltimore called the Soft Tones, which may have been the inspiration for the name of Harry Kim's four-piece band, the Kim Tones. And that old black magic has been used several times in Trek in addition to in Virtuoso. It can be heard playing as background music in a bar in Star Trek III. I'm assuming that's the bar that McCoy goes to at the beginning of the film. And it's sung by Seven of Nine in her guise as lounge singer Mademoiselle Deneuve in the Voyager episode The Killing Game. That's the one with the Nazi herogen. Yeah, I haven't seen it because it's I, I, I mean, I know of it, but some of this late season Voyager stuff where they're clearly all so bored and they're like what if it was like getting what captain proton and this well yeah yeah and like what's what's his name likes the uh, tom paris loves the 90s he's a big fan of the spin doctor what's ed begley jr up to hey it's sarah silverman yeah right yeah it's like it's like okay i I get i get it i get you're all trying to get footage for your reel (laughs) that's what it is (laughs) Uh, Robert Picardo, the actor behind The Doctor, is of course an accomplished singer and voice actor. He got a start in Broadway and in musical plays. Uh, it's his voice in the episode, though some of the operatic parts are voice doubled by opera tenor Agostino Castagnola, who is also an actor and a voiceover artist. Uh, Castagnola provided the singing voices for Captain Kirk and Ensign Chekhov in a 2009 episode of Robot Chicken. Uh, speaking about guest stars in the episode, Kamala Lopez appears as Tinku, the female Chimerian who helps the Doctor. She also appeared in such films as Born in East L.A. and I Heart Huckabees. She's currently a political activist and a blogger for the Huffington Post. 
Ray Zifo plays Abarca. He's the kind of Marty Scorsese-looking Comerian. Uh, early in his life, Zifo was training to become a priest, but became a stage and film actor instead. He's appeared in such films as The Island, Ocean's 13, and Basketball. And this episode also features... Strangely, uh, singer-songwriter Paul Williams. He appears as the white-robed Comerian tapping his foot at the Doctor's Shipboard concert. Williams has been an impressively successful musician and songwriter since the early 60s, having written songs like The Rainbow Connection, the love theme from A Star is Born, uh, Evergreen, which was a number one hit. He also wrote hits for The Carpenters, like We've Only Just Begun, and Rainy Days and Mondays, and he, always, and he went on to write for many other uh, high-charting songs. He's made many TV and film appearances, both as an actor and as himself. He he appeared early in his career as evil record producer Swan in the huh. film Phantom of the Paradise. Yes, and he appeared. Wait, yeah, the Brian, Brian De Palma. The Phantom of the Paradise. No, that's the Kiss one. This is the um, like the rock opera Brian De Palma movie. Oh, okay, just making, just making. Yeah, sure. I, when that I saw that, I got cool. excited too. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> he also appeared most recently in the film Baby Driver. And Leonard Crowfoot, Leonard Crowfoot also appeared as one of the Kamar audience members. He's actually appeared twice previously in Trek. He played Trent, the male servant of Mistress Beata in the TNG episode Angel One. And he was the gender neutral form of Lol in The Offspring. That was uh, Data's daughter. So uh, let's talk about the episode itself. Um, I want to go back to your YouTube lectures quick. Uh, you point out in those lectures that viewers and sci-fi fans in particular find ethical dilemmas like the ones that we see in Star Trek particularly fascinating. But it seems like only when it's in sci-fi, like if Archie came on to Riverdale and said, you know, you really shouldn't drink and drive, we'd kind of tune it out. Why do you think that we cotton to those themes when they're wrapped in this sci-fi package? Um, I think that it is easier to discuss ethics and morality in sci-fi or fantasy because, I mean, it, because we don't feel like we're being lectured at because we're not seeing us. You know, yeah. like, soap operas have good guys and bad guys. Like, and the bad guys do bad things, the good guys do good things, and it's like, yeah, we make fun of that. Yeah. But uh, you put it in space and you call it a space opera, and all of a sudden people are like, People are like, oh, should Captain Kirk have let that lady die? Like, that lady seemed innocent. Ah, yeah. But the Nazis would have happened. Ah, but could they have found another way? Like, yeah, it is, you know, like, if you know, like, imagine this. Imagine somebody comes up to you in the street and just starts telling you their political opinions. Like, <laughs> be they for good or for ill. Sure. Like, I'd be like, thanks. Like, can you leave <laughs> yeah, me right. alone now? Like, I don't. I don't care, and I didn't ask. But if but we're I, talking about detaining Bajorans, for yes. instance, then suddenly we're like, oh, tell me more. Yes, yes, exactly, yes. <laughs> I don't know why that is. I, I, I mean, I'm, not, I'm no neuroscientist. I just know, because it's like, look, it's, you know, my job is like an advertising writer and a comedy writer, and so it's like it's my job to come up with something that works, not to know why it does. Yeah, yeah sure. Uh, that makes sense. We've been talking a lot on this show uh, this season about the ethical dilemmas of Trek and what a civilization that is, has accomplished as much as the Federation would really look like. And I think it was David Gerald who said that Trek isn't really a look at humanity's future. It's a look at our current political and cultural landscape. That's why the 60s Trek you know, had... The racial things like the guys with the one white on one side of their face, black on the other. And TNG was telling us that drugs are bad in the 80s. And now Captain Lorca wants to make the Empire great again. You know, it seems like the key problems of Trek will and should always be relatable ones. Um, whether or not it's a story about a war with gray spoonhead guys, you know, it's it's still a story about the horrors of war, period. Yeah, but you'll notice when Lorca said, let's make the Empire glorious again. 
all of us were like, <laughs> like, a little, little too close. And when they started selling those hats that said "Make the Empire Glorious Again," right? It was like, mm, yeah, like hey, symbol. Don't lecture much. me. <laughs> don't, don't look. Nobody hates Donald Trump more than me. Like yeah. one time, I, I literally, I, I got into a boxing match with the moderator from the Reddit, like Donald Trump hate group the donald r slash the donald like right we like we got into a real boxing match that you can watch on youtube that is how much i hate donald trump but like i still it's like i don't need star trek telling me that donald trump sucks i'm right here like i <laughs> yeah. see it like yeah <laughs> i get it this guy sucks can you do more fun stuff with like a mushrooms because i don't have those <laughs> I wonder if it's a question of audience sophistication then, because I think back in the 60s, there might have been some people who were rolling their eyes at, you know, Frank Gorshin having a face like a black and white cookie. But I think that people still went, yeah, yeah, that's deep. I, I get it. I imagine the kids were I mean, and like, let's let's all not forget, like, let's let's I mean, I assume that the original target of Star Trek was kids. Yeah, it's a space degree, adventure sure. show. Yeah, right. You know, yeah. like, like, you know, we all watch TOS, and we're and look, I don't know that for a fact. I'm not a Star Trek historian. Um, like, uh, but it's a it's it's a space adventure show that was on NBC. Like, yeah. I, like, I, you know, it it turns out that they made an amazing, surprisingly deep thing. But I bet little kids were probably like, oh man, this half black half white face thing is really making me think and then i assume <laughs> right. their parents were just like i get it god right. i get it right when's bonanza on yeah when's bonanza? yeah bonanza's <laughs> great Are you kidding me they gotta defend that oh i love bonanza too yeah exactly yeah. Uh, although they gotta be careful with they gotta be careful around those maps they keep burning them <laughs> yeah that's what are you doing made of turpentine yeah yeah it's a map okay guys you need this map right nobody knows where to go yeah no. what are you doing guys? <laughs> uh robot rights is something that comes up uh now and again on trek it's more or less at the center of this episode um and it, maybe it has something to do with what we were talking about, about the stories being related, relatable, but there's not often a lot of robot rights stories in Trek. Even the presence of sentient robots or AI is kind of limited. Like most of those stories are about like data in TNG, and they're often framed as stories about slavery and subjugation, like in Measure of a Man. Why do you think there aren't more self-aware AIs or robots like in the universe of Trek? Well... I don't think that is I unfortunately I disagree with the premise of your question um, okay. because uh, I look I've never seen it. I know Voyager goes into a whole thing with like holographic slavery and apparently they make that they make the Dr. Mark one like <laughs> coal miners. Yeah. yeah, they're yeah, they're mining dilithium or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, ex yeah, exactly. And I know that like like the doctor writes a book that. I mean, he essentially like writes a book that will one day inspire like a holographic rights revolution. And then, you know, uh, there's plenty of it with data where it's just like, you know, data has a kid and they're like, well, that's Starfleet's property. And he's like, what the f 
fuck are you talking about? Wait, like, what? Yeah. Goddamn right. daughter. And they're like, yeah, but you used our labs. And it's, you know, it's like if my toaster <laughs> makes a smaller toaster, that's also my toaster. You know? <laughs> I'm toasting mini bagels in it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, you know, currently in Discovery, there's like an evil AI. And I don't yeah. know. I, I don't know what the deal is going to end up being with that thing. Um, but, you know, I feel like Star Trek does explore. I mean, maybe it's less about robot rights and more about blurring the line between man and machine. I mean, because Spock is fucking half computer. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then there's literally the Borg. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. know, and then there's exactly. It's weird because, I mean, they're almost always like bad guys like Control and Disco or Nomad or Ruck, you know, uh, the uh, bald guy, the bald android guy. Um but in your lecture, you know, you bring up a dilemma that sounds very sci-fi, but like we were saying before, it's it's related, I think, to what we're struggling with currently, um, the AI tro- trolley problem. Uh, like when you're programming a self-driving car, it has to make a decision that may lead to fatalities on one side or the other. Where's the ethical responsibility? You know, is the car responsible for what happens? Is it the programmer or the company that made the car? Like, where does the blame lie in a situation like that? Yeah, uh, you you know, and and I've and the self-driving car problem is there was a quiz that went around the internet where it where it was like if the car goes down, you know, track one, it's gonna kill a, a, a pregnant lady, uh, <laughs> but if the car goes down track two, it's gonna kill two ch- two existing children. Mm-hmm. Which is more moral? Which one should the car go down? Mm-hmm. And um, that you sounds know, like I, a reproductive. Uh, that sounds like a reproductive rights uh, quiz. It actually does. I yeah. don't like. I was trying to come up with a better <laughs> example, and I sorry. Continue. That one is bad. <laughs> uh, the one I just gave is bad. <laughs> but um, but <laughs> clearly uh, the existing children. Clearly, yeah. I I, I mean, you, like, I've never seen the Will Smith movie AI. But apparently the oh the um, reason iRobot oh, do you know that oh yeah iRobot yeah, yeah do yeah. you know do you know the plot of that yeah it's he's mad at robots because a robot he got in a car wreck with his daughter and a robot saved him because it had made the like split second calculation that he had a better chance he had a better chance of getting Will Smith out of the car than his daughter. Um, and so he resented robots. That was you know the very kind of shallow hook of his character as the as the movie starts. Yeah, and it's like, well, I mean, the thing, I've never seen that movie and I hear it's shitty, but that is interesting to me. Because yeah. to a human, you'd be like, well, of course you should save the kid. It's a kid. But to a robot, it's like, well, of course you should save the one that has the higher probability of surviving. My job is to ensure the survival of sentient life. Right, yeah. And, and so it's a, it's, it's, it's a problem it's interesting, that- man. Yeah, no, and it's a problem that the Federation has either solved and come to terms with or they've just punted it down the field because they've got a holographic doctor that I assume is making life or death decisions every day that will affect, quote-unquote, real people. Data's flying a ship with a 1,000 men, women, and children aboard, and they have no problem with that and the decisions that he makes. That's a really good... I had not even considered that. That's an in, that's an incredibly good point. Um, you know, like... Uh, the, the thing with Star Trek is they always have to do a thing where there's like there's a new thing, yeah, you know, right. yeah, like right. um, you know, like there's like there's only one positronic dude, and so if we could make a million of him, we could save a million lives. It's like yeah, well, what if you made a million, 
10 million slaves. You can say yeah, yeah, and, I, yeah. and they put those words in, in uh, Guinan's mouth, which uh, is, I'm not sure if that's them going into Frank Gorshin territory or if it's brilliant to have the, the black actress on the show be like, huh, seems like they're kind of slaves. Just sipping my tea. Yeah. Like, you know, especially because she's, what is she like? Ingurian or? Elorian. Uh, yeah, she's like Elorian, so it's like, well, she don't. I mean, she she knows nothing about the history of humanity. And no, slavery. it's not like no, no, it's not like they had the actor who played Kunta Kinte come on and do that line. No, they had yeah, Whoopi Goldberg yeah, do but, it instead. They had yeah, Eddie do but it. Still, it's kind of like, <laughs> mm, are you using her? Are you kind of using her race in this scene as like a prop? <laughs> Maybe a little. But at the same time, Picard went to Picard went to his bartender with problems all the time. Yeah, that's so true. Like, that's Ugh. true. Yeah, yeah. It is interesting, man. I mean, the thing is, like, that scene is is amazing because there's two amazing actors in it. Yeah. So, so like, like, man, you can can hide anything with good acting. <laughs> I I remember <laughs> that was like the, one of the only things that I was taught in 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 film school. Was like was like uh, uh, good acting will save a terrible script and bad acting will ruin Shakespeare. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that the, the doctor finds himself uh, in a situation in this episode. He's he's defending his right to self determination. He argues that he's earned it by default, and I don't. I feel like he's kind of arguing his personhood, but it really I think comes down more to his status. Uh, as a crew member who, I guess, in this military has the right to terminate his service. He makes a hypothetical argument that if Carrie, Harry Kim fell in love with an alien and wanted to live on her planet, which, frankly, I could see happening, mm-hmm. uh, that Janeway wouldn't try to stop him from doing that. And I'd argue that I think she kind of would. Like, in that situation, if they needed his expertise at you know at the science station or whatever, I think that she might be able to just literally pull rank and say, uh, you can't go. We're we're not home yet. Like we've got another twenty years to go here. And it got me thinking. I, I can't. Has anybody ever quit the ship? I can't remember if that's ever really happened before. You mean Voyager or just like any ship? No, I mean like specifically Voyager. Oh, I I mean I don't I I doubt it because that would be interesting and we would remember. It. <laughs> oh, shots fired. You know okay. what I mean? Like we yeah. would know. We would know that. But yeah. um, the 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 thing that makes this this moral dilemma so juicy is that he is the ship's only doctor. Right. Like he's the only one. And so if he leaves and someone gets a phaser burn, they could die. And Mm. so it's kind of like, well, Harry, you know, like if Harry Kim falls in love or something, I don't know. They probably have another science man. What the does Harry Kim even do? Uh, He is the science station, right? Isn't he? I don't. I honestly don't know. I'm not like, totally sure myself. You know what? Captain Janeway is a scientist, so yeah, that's there. true. That's We're fine. True. <laughs> like, um, but you I, know, by the time by the time we get to this, like, Kess is long gone because apparently that actress was. Oh yeah, that didn't work out. Now I assume the reason they got rid of Kess was that her hair sucks so much. Yeah, <laughs> like that's what it was. Yeah, but the thing is, it's it's kind of like okay, so they don't even have like a nurse. I mean. Tom Paris is a yeah. nurse, right? But how long does it take to go to medical school in real life? Like, shouldn't, I know. Shouldn't they be training somebody? Somebody should be able to step in and at least be a you know less experienced but still skilled up doctor. That's a that's a really fucking good point. I gotta stop making good points. Yeah, because it's just like getting what, in the way. Don't 
Do they not have a plan for a computer malfunction? <laughs> yeah, what, that right. happens exactly. in episode seven with Beowulf. Yeah, where right. an alien becomes Beowulf. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't don't the computers malfunction and they all have to act like they're in the French Resistance? Yeah, that's the one with uh, where they sing that old Black Magic. Yeah, they should probably have uh, should probably have uh, Robert Picardo teaching medical classes twenty four seven. Yeah, you should have a whole university. Yeah, yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> But it's it's I mean you know so like that is that's a very juicy part of it like there's after on effects to him leaving yeah. there's also the idea that like you can't just leave the military because you want to you have to be discharged yeah. um your captain can send you to the front lines to die because yeah. you yeah. by doing that you might be saving a thousand people like yeah you know when you join the military you do so knowing that you might die but the flip side of it is. This guy never joined the military. Someone made him. Yeah, and they and, made yeah. him in Starfleet. And like yeah. now that he's been alive for six years, what if he don't want to be in Starfleet no more? Yeah. And the episode kind of balances on that in an opposite way uh, as it does in Measure of a Man in that she doesn't, uh, the JAG officer in that uh, episode doesn't necessarily rule that he's alive or that he's human. She just rules that Starfleet doesn't own him. And in this, we have kind of the opposite thing, which is Janeway's not trying to have an argument about whether he's alive or not. She's kind of like, you're kind of part of the whole deal here. Like, you're, we've given you the opportunity to explore yourself and grow, and that's all well and good, but you are kind of part of this ship. Like, I wouldn't leave one of my warp missiles behind. Like, we need you to do this for everybody. Yeah, but the, but the, you know, but the, but the flip side of it is like, those warp nacelles probably didn't uh, try to hook up with Seven of Nine. I mean, they should have, <laughs> but like, you know, it's it, um, it's so interesting when they're like, you're a, you're a piece of equipment. It's like, he's definitely not. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he he is, you know. But he's, I mean, yes, he's a, he's holographically emitted by a 26th century portable <laughs> hollow emitter. Yeah. Like, well, granted, but. Did you ever I'm, see the John Carpenter movie Dark Star? No, John Carpenter's too scary. So. Oh, <laughs> okay. Just, just I, don't, I can't even listen to John Carpenter music. It's, uh, oh, well, I, I can understand that. Oh, wait, yeah. what were you saying? Sorry, well, I can't hear you. There's there's a there's a plot line in that uh, movie which itself is like a parody of like space stuff. But their bombs are smart bombs, which ah! is to say they are literally smart. They have AIs in them. And at one point, a bomb decides that it doesn't want to blow this thing up, and they have to spend this time like convincing it to do what it's supposed to do, its prime function to blow up. And one of the characters hits on the idea of teaching it like like semiotics basically like you know teaching it like about zen buddhism and like what existence is and it ends up kind of creating its own religion <laughs> in a way and it sort of backfires on the crew that's kind of what this reminded me of like we've given this you know this machine the ability to grow and now this machine like what if your toaster said nah, i'm not toasting any bread today i don't feel like it yeah exactly you'd be like you'd be like i own you i spent money on you like <laughs> I'm also hungry. <laughs> I'm hungry. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> um, the the uh, yeah. So like you know, there's there are a ton of ethical you know quandaries here. Like the doctor's brain patterns are based on a real guy, right? Like that's sure. why the doctor acts like a human asshole because he was built by a human asshole, patterned on a human. Is that correct or incorrect? No, that's uh, yeah. As far as I know. 
Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, um, the uh, and then the other side of it is kind of like, well, does this planet not deserve the gift of music? Yeah, it's 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 like this is a civilization that has never experienced this rapturous art form. Well, that's let's talk about that. How have the Komar never developed music? And I think by expression, or excuse me, by extension, we're, we're to understand that they don't, like the doctor uses the phrase artistic expression and they're just slack-jawed. So do they have no art like at all? Like no no uh, emotional or artistic um, it works or expression in any way in their culture? Yeah, I, I mean, it is it is very interesting. Like, that's the thing. It's like some of these Voyager episodes <laughs> are fucking great. Like. Yeah. A planet without music, hearing it for the first time, could be an entire episode of Star Trek. Yeah. You know, um, what happens if the ship loses its doctor and there's an emergency? That's an episode of Star Trek. Like, I mean, you know, there's a really great episode of Battlestar Galactica that's just like that, where, like, Doc Coddle is off the ship and <laughs> yeah. a veterinarian has to open up, you know, Commander, uh, uh, what's his name, uh, Adama. You know, and like there's drama there. What happens if you don't have a doctor? The doctor, he's also falling in love with a lady. Yeah. The whole time. And the lady's falling in love with him back. And she's pretty hot. And so it's kind of like, can a computer, like, is is this computer simply simulating love? Or is it real? Well, are you simulating love when you're fucking endorphins express and blah, blah, blah. And neuron censoring and bing, bing, boo. He's a quote-unquote fake person who loves music and can express himself that way. And you've got this planet of short people who have created all these things technologically, but they don't feel those things. And so I think that's like a really neat sort of opposition that they set up. Yeah. And then – do you mind if we get to the ending? Yeah, let's go. Yeah. And then the the ending to this this episode is amazing (laughs) because these short guys, they're like – they're like, this is great. We've developed a technology that can copy you, Doctor. Now we don't need you at all. You're yeah. not an individual. You're just a machine. Yeah. A machine that we made, and we made it sing better. Yeah. And there's like a shot of like of, of a, a replication of a hologram singing in five voices at once. Yeah, yeah. And like... I mean, you like obviously you could explore the morality of that, but it's a great. <laughs> which they don't. <laughs> which they don't. <laughs> they right? just fly away. It's such. It's, it's it's even huger than the thing that we've been dealing with in the episode. Like, is the doctor alive now? There's two of him. If you can reproduce him, is he still alive? It just serves to turn it up to eleven, and they're like, "Well, we gotta go." Yeah, and and so, <laughs> and then the doctor is super. Embarrassed, yeah, because he's kind of like I made a big deal out of wanting to go to this planet, and now the planet doesn't even want me. You know, it's kind of like when you quit a job and you burn your bridge. Yeah, right. On the way, yeah, Yeah. he's got to come crawling back to Janeway. Yeah, yeah. It's so it's so funny, and so obviously, you know what? Like the the stuff they're saying there is, it's kind of like, I mean, it makes the is he an individual question even murkier. Yeah. Um. Like, but also, this is the 90s, so this is a satire of stealing and downloading MP3 files. Oh my god, I never even thought about that. Yeah, it's the Napster it, it, planet. 
Yeah, 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 ex- exactly. You know, or in Futurama, kidnapster. It's uh, it's it's kind of like, hey, the doctor is, like, the doctor is a piece of art with value, and he's creating art with value, and these they guys pirate him. Yeah. Yes, they use technology to make his to make his art worthless. Because oh if you can have two of something and you can have a million of it, then you're worthless, Doc. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a good one, man. It's a good, It's you know, it's like, there's Voyager is mostly but, you know, you put enough monkeys and enough typewriters and eventually <laughs> get Romeo and Juliet. It's also like cutting out the dealer here because he's given them that sweet, sweet drug of music. And now they've just created their own dealer. What's going to lead? What what will stop them from uh, leading to everybody having a doctor like in their own home and competing doctors? Like as soon as Voyager pulls away, it's like then began the music wars. Yes, 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 exactly. Like because now they have this gift. Will they go too far with it? Like, will they understand it? They're always worried about the prime directive, especially in Voyager. But I wonder if there's a concern about affecting a planet. It's like artistic development. Is there a musical prime directive? Oh my God, that's so. I mean, because look, you're not supposed to affect our culture, Can right? You think of anything that would affect someone's culture more than art. Yeah, this like, civilization abandoned rap rock fusion centuries ago. We'll not sabotage that achievement. Yes. Like, oh my God! All of a sudden, Limp Biscuit and Kid Rockograms. What have we done? Show up! No. <laughs> and then, How and long then, do we wait to introduce them to the Dave Matthews Band? That's what we need to know. Yeah, are they ready to? Are they ready? <laughs> and are definitely are they ready to hear Dave Matthews and Tim? What's his name? Live at Red Rocks. It's right? Yeah. <laughs> what is this know. Red Rocks you speak of? What are these? <laughs> oh, you mean those Red Rocks that the Gorn fights in front of? Yes. No, those are different Red Rocks. <laughs> uh, I do think it's funny that the doc. Doctor, see, I know that there's, you know, you can't pay for the licensing of music or whatever, but there's no future music. You know, the doctor has an iPod of a middle-aged man or a, you know, Starbucks compilation CD. It's just all opera. It's like public radio planet. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like somebody Google's best opera songs. Yeah, right. Oh, Verity. Let's try that out. Yeah, right. Uh, As somebody uh, who is well-versed in comedy, did you have a favorite, like, bit or uh, joke from this episode? Oh, no, I'm I'm sorry. Nothing super duper comes to mind um, <laughs> okay. from this. I, I mean, I think my favorite comedic moment in all of Voyager is definitely. Remember when like the Doctor programs himself to daydream? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. It's like the Doctor programs himself to daydream, which is great, by the way. That like a computer thinks to itself, "I'd like to try daydreaming," mm-hmm. and. All of his dreams are hysterical. Yeah, like yeah. in the like the first one of his dreams that we see, like uh, seven of nine, uh, Belana Torres and and Captain Janeway are all fighting for the right to fuck the doctor. <laughs> yeah, and it's like that's pretty funny. But then there's a scene like where later, like we see the doctor's room. And it's just covered in these, like, crude drawings of Seven of Nine. Crude, highly sexualized children's <laughs> drawings of Seven of Nine. And it's like, that's the best thing I've ever seen. Like, he has, like, a, it's like crayon drawings of her boobies. <laughs> these erotic hieroglyphics. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And, and, and then that question just opens up all these other, like, 
So he can like operate on like a Tholian vomp bat, but he can't draw boobs. <laughs> like what? What's with this guy? Right. Yeah. They should be like weird uh, internal Grey's Anatomy serial killer drawings because they come from his like medical charts, you know, of a woman's body. Yes. Or they should be exact photographic replicas of of her because his just eyes are out. cameras. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but it's like it's not. Like, they really go out of our way to be like, the doctor's kind of creepy. <laughs> he, like, kind of won't stop obsessing about seven of nine. Yeah, see, man, at the end of the day, it is more fun to talk about Voyager than to watch it. <laughs> be yeah. Because when you talk about it, you can talk about what ifs. And you can complain about, like, science fiction fans and wrestling fans love complaining. It's <laughs> ju true. We just like doing it. We love finding the, f even in movies we like. We enjoy discussing their flaws. Yeah, that's true. Like, um, you know, like, uh, and with Voyager, there's a lot of weird shit that happens on Voyager, man. A lot of weird <laughs> shit happening on that in the crew and in the cast and all this. Shit. It's like they fuck. It's like you got a real good cast here, guys. You got Robert Picardo. You got Mrs. Columbo. You got the guy who's not the guy who killed someone in a shuttle accident in the episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation where. Uh, 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 Wesley Crusher almost flunks out of the academy. You got right. a half Klingon, half half human, and you and you just don't have many good episodes, guys. Yeah, uh, this is an exception. Yes, it is. I guess. Yes, which is why we're talking about it. Yes, I did enjoy this one though. Yeah. Um, is there anything I can't imagine there would be? But is there anything that you have left unsaid? Any parting shots you've got about this episode? No, no, it's just, it's just, I honestly think you should go out of your way to watch it because Robert Picardo's yeah. love of music and his incredible sadness in having to leave the only planet that has ever understood him is amazing. Like, he gives this goodbye, he sings this goodbye opera song. Yeah. And it will, like, it, it's very moving and emotional. Yeah. It's and and there are shots of there's a sh there's a shot of Janeway where she's like almost moved to tears. Yeah, they, he gets Janeway. And it's kind of like, well, he's proving his humanity cuz it's like, well, you wouldn't cry if your warp engine did something. <laughs> right, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> but it's like, well, Janeway, you're crying at this thing that you say is equipment. So yeah. do you really think he's equipment? Like Mm, uh, it's just there's so many it's such a multifaceted episode and i would encourage people to explore it yeah it doesn't stop her from um hiring him on at a lower rate when he comes back though do you know what i mean she yeah. still kind of gives it to him when he comes back yeah i mean come on it's <laughs> like that guy's an asshole too <laughs> yeah. it's like you can feel bad for an asshole but he's also an asshole doctor yeah <laughs> Uh, let's uh, talk My Space Dad Can Beat Up Your Space Dad. Who's your favorite captain and why? Oh, I think that the best captain is is Kirk, just because he would get you... I feel like you would follow Kirk into hell, and unfortunately, a lot of red shirts do. Like, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I'd, Captain Picard is awesome. And Captain Sisko is awesome. And Captain Janeway is very cool, too. And, and man, I even really like... I, I love Captain Pike in the new show. Yeah. Like, a, a, what's his name? Ansem 
Anson Mount. Anson Mount is like mounting the performance of a lifetime. Everything this guy does and says is great. He is so... It's so hard to tell somebody to play dashing. Just, for example, let's watch Solo, a Star Wars story. (laughs) Oh, boy. Like, this kid is supposed to be, like, all dashing and debonair and shit. And it's like, it's hard. It's hard to have charisma. You can't. You either got it or you don't. Yeah. And with Pike, with Anson Mount's Pike and with Kirk, it's like, I would watch these. I could watch these guys read the goddamn phone book <laughs> and like and then when they get morally indignant i'm also like i'm getting morally indignant too now yeah right yeah yeah that's important when you're uh, tackling the kind of topics that they're tackling like why do i care what the blue people think about the red people but if catch picard's like mm, it's not good i'm like oh yeah that's bad that's brilliant yeah. yes yeah yes exactly and like when Captain Picard gives like that speech at the in All Good Things, where he's like talking to the past Enterprise D crew, and he's like, "I'm asking, I'm asking you to make a leap of faith, right? And I'm asking you to trust me." It's like, yeah, you I would the also finest crew, yes, yeah, yes. It's just it's it's fucking nuts. It's so god these these goddamn actors are so goddamn good. Yeah, but I mean, you know, I I again, I I gotta give it to Kirk just because it's like. He's not only the first, he's also the best. Sorry. Like, I like I like all the other captains. I even, I mean, I guess except for, uh, what's his name, Enterprise guy. That guy, <laughs> I love him on Quantum Leap. He's so fucking boring on that goddamn show. Uh, now that we've reached the end of the show, you'll receive a commission and the rank of Ensign. What department hey! on the ship do you work in? I want to work with Mott. <laughs> okay. Down I'd be uh, great at because I'm not. Shop? Yeah, I'm not talented. I'm not, like I can't do anything useful. I'm sure. an advertising man. Like, I, I, like <laughs> I mean, I guess like no, man. Yeah, I can, I could sweep up the hair. I could see that. Yeah, you'd need a lot of specific training, I think, because there's a lot of different hair, uh, <gasps> with a lot of different races. You know, it's not just uh, you know blonde and and black uh, hair. You're fucking right. What if the hair starts to fight back? Their tentacles. What if, yeah. What, yeah. What if it tries to sweep up me? Right. <laughs> I don't think I can do it. What can I do? Is there like a feet? Do they need like a seat filler? I can oh. do that. <laughs> like we don't want the bridge to look too empty when the Andorians yeah, show or they're, up. They're always, they're always doing like violin concerts and stuff like that in 10 forward. So if nobody wants to come to the concert, you could just like just quietly, you know, sit down, politely clap. Yeah, I could be the – that's what – actually, that's what I could do. I could book 10 forward. I could be the booker for 10 forward. Okay. Because, <laughs> like, I know how to find other talented people. Yeah. Like, that I can It's a do. smaller room, but yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> you'll be, and, and you'll be paid in unlimited uh, food and drinks from our unlimited yeah. food and drink machine. All the synthahol you can drink, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> well, Ensign Kokonos, thanks so much for joining me to talk about Star Trek and the Star Trek universe. If people want to continue the conversation, and they can, at at the ISD pod on Twitter and the Enterprising Individuals Facebook page, where can people find you online? Um, you can find me online at twitter.com slash Asterios. That is spelled A-S-T-E-R-I-O-S. Um, but, but honestly, I'd, I'd love it if you'd listen to my podcast. It's called The Loudest Podcast. It's me and my comedian girlfriend. And so it's two weirdos talking about extremely normal things. Like... <laughs> 
We are going to do an entire episode on the Big Bang Theory next week because we oh my god we both have been watching so much the Big Bang Theory lately. Like we're super getting into it. We watch Survivor. Like we enjoy bird <laughs> memes. We love porgs. It's like being basic for nerds. Sure, sure. And so it's called the loudest podcast. You can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, or at theloudestpodcast.com. Well, thanks again for joining me. Thanks for having me, buddy. We're signing off until the next mission. Hailing frequencies closed. Sonora.